Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. This segment of Indigenuity has been recorded from the lands of the Bunurong people. We are on site at Bunjil Place Gallery in Narrawarren for the opening of the exhibition Naracha, meaning together, us group, all in it together in the Barkindji language. This exhibition is a dynamic portal into Barkindji country and culture through 50 art pieces from six Barkindji artists, curators Nikki and Zena Cumston, as well as David Doyle, Kent Morris, Adrian Simmons, and Raymond Zader. Upon entry to the gallery, we are greeted by a large screen showcasing two digital works from the artists. One of these pieces is called At Face Value by Raymond Zader, who was a previous Indigenuity guest in recent weeks. At Face Value is a series of 25 portraits of Barkindji people, which aims to challenge some of the narrow views many hold about what Aboriginal people look like. As the faces morph from one portrait to the other, viewers are asked to shift their paradigms and accept the diversity of Aboriginal people. The gallery space first opens up to a cosy lounging area, which offers a series of picture books for attendees to read. All of these are in the theme of Naracha, but they have been created by a different artist from the exhibition. For example, upon opening the book created by Naracha curator Nikki Cumston, we are met with a series of photographs which provide a glimpse into Nikki's life. Photos of elders, family, loved ones, from Nikki's youth to present day. These photos showcase breathtaking landscapes from across Barkindji country. Images of lilies found along the Barker Darling River, red stones and artifacts from Kinchega National Park, which are entitled Precious Memories Left by the Ancestors. Pictures of the six artists smiling together during their many trips to country in preparation for creating these cohesive works that make up the exhibition. These photos carry the essence of Naracha, the coming together of six diverse Barkindji experiences, perspectives, and unique art styles to offer the viewer a dynamic portal into Barkindji country. So Nikki, welcome to, uh, to Indigenuity again, uh, and congratulations on an excellent launch to your exhibition. Um, I was wondering if you give us a brief introduction to who you are for our listeners. Well, hi, I'm Nikki Cumpston. I'm a Barkindji artist and curator. And I'm very, very proud of the exhibition that I've been able to co-curate with my sister Zena and the four other Barkindji artists. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to work on this together. The photographs in Ngaritja have all been created out at Old Mudawindji Gorge. And it was a day trip where all of the artists were together with another group of people that we'd met where we were staying at Mudawindji. And so we had this really beautiful morning of being able to walk together and just as we entered into the gorge it was awe-inspiring the feeling and the energy it felt like we weren't alone it was like we were being led along that path so we were walking along the base of a creek bed and the others were 
walking ahead of me and walked up into the undercrofts and they were looking at all of the rock art. It was just a really phenomenal place. I couldn't quite get up into that region myself. So I stayed down low and continued along and started photographing. And the, the way that the light was falling was really beautiful. It was capturing the different colours in the plants that, 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 that were there. There was some backlight, so some of the rushes were really glowing and the rocks themselves were glistening. There's so many different colours of ochre in that region. There's beautiful reds and oranges and yellows and just the different elements of those rocks were shimmering. It was, it was a really beautiful opportunity to capture all of those, you know, those colours. Of course, I'm working with black and white film. So in my mind, I was hanging on to those colours that I was seeing because I knew that I wanted to reintroduce those colours into the photographs once I'd printed them. Yeah, so this is such a fascinating art style to me. So these photographs, these are very large artworks to try and paint, uh, I guess, like a bit of a picture for any of our listeners. They aren't small. These are very significant large pieces. Um, And you've printed them black and white onto watercolour paper, and then you've hand-coloured them. Could you tell us a bit about uh, that process and how long you would estimate it took you just to even do one of these pieces? Well, how I do it is I have the negative scanned, and then printed, as you said, onto the watercolour paper. And they are then mounted onto aluminium so that it's a a hard surface that I can work on. And I put the work up on an easel and then just think about the day and think about the light and the the types of colours that I was seeing. I've been using a new type of, of paint. It's called their pan pastels. So it's a powder and you apply it using like a a makeup sponge and the many different sizes of these sponges that you can use. And so you can meld your colors really beautifully. They they blend in a really lovely way. And I I work with them quite lightly so that you can still obviously see the image underneath. I don't wanna, you know, hide the fact that this is a photograph. It's the medium that I'm working in. And so I try to be really light-handed with the actual color and most of the colors have a translucency about them even though they're a powder so apply you know the layers and and keep sort of moving backwards and forwards to make sure that I've got the tone and the contrast right because you don't want to cover up you know the way that the light is falling on onto the objects and it's you know something that I love doing it's very meditative and I also then go back into the image with crayons and pencils just to pull out some of the highlights and to bring in some of the texture. And it's a way to be able to play. You know, I love, I love colour and I love adding, you know, little moments of colour throughout the images. Oh, well, they're, they're absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe they were hand-coloured. And reading that description just blew my mind. They are gorgeous, gorgeous pieces and you've done phenomenally with them. Um, and also just with this exhibition in general. So I wanted to thank you for your time here today um, and uh, congratulations on everything. Oh, thank you very much, Crystal. (laughs) Moving further into the exhibition space, you're met with a large open table offering up Kuhlemans containing various artifacts. This work has been created by carver, poet and educator David Doyle, showing the abundance of Barkindji country. Some of the sites that I can see include a Kuhleman, 
containing three large emu eggs. These emu eggs have been carved with etchings, which are of native plants and seeds. Nearby, another Kuleman cradles the cleaned whole skeleton of a fish. And above all of this is a net suspended, which is gorgeous to see. So David, uh, welcome to Indigenuity and thanks for spending some time with us here today. Um, Thank you. I was wondering if you could start off by uh, introducing yourself for our listeners. Sure, my name's David Doyle. I uh, live on Barkindji country and I've got Barkindji Malyankarpa uh, heritage. Excellent. And so I wanted to ask some questions today about this really magnificent piece that's installed in the centre of the exhibition space. Uh, so you've created a work that is honouring this idea of abundance of Barkindji country. And I was wondering if you tell us a bit about what this abundance is. Sure. I actually um, decided to make it a bit more specific than the whole abundance thing. Um, look, I have a really strong passion in plants and I wanted to honour the river red gum just so most of the stuff that's on that table is related to the river red gum pretty much directly so um, on there is a bark canoe that i removed from a river red gum or gumaru as we say in um, barkindji um, and it's surrounded by uh, bark coolamon that i also removed again from the river red gum the idea about doing the river red gum was um, that one one tree gives us so much so not only does it give us um, shelter, it gives us food. Um, in the, it, it's a uh, scaffold for the bush bananas that I had cast in bronze. And also when the, the roots hang into the water, it's where the yabbies and the mussels, the turtles and the fish all live. So I kind of wanted to tie those in. So they sit inside the Kulamon, um, one of them being a skeleton, like we've just finished eating it. Uh, and they're, they're all cast in bronze. I actually wanted to do them in bronze rather than any other material because I wanted to, to basically live on for as long as possible um, and for for as many people to be able to see. And then I can also keep them because they're, they're just gorgeous. Um, the other thing is like, I do talk about bush medicine quite a lot. Um, the, the bark was a medicine for us, the tannins that come out of it. And of course, one of our biggest imports initially out of Australia was um, eucalyptus oil. So, you know, um, not sure if you could smell it when you went in there, but there's actually a diffuser with uh, campfire and eucalyptus essential oil going underneath the plinth. It is gorgeous. Just to, just to give us a bit of that um, sense that, you know, that's all part of it as well because, you know, the River Red Gum also gave us wood for the fires. It gave us um, shelter. Uh, also, the hollowed-out trunks would sometimes be used for... Um, uh, as a maternity ward basically so where women could go and have their babies so that it's really important tree and I wanted to try and show that and I didn't capture every single piece of usefulness it is I've got boomerangs on there, I've got clap sticks and spears all made out of the river red gum I, I run out of room on the table mm. um, but I have taken some pieces home that just couldn't fit on and kind of overcrowded it all okay. so the 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 abundance just from that one one species is is massive oh, that's so, that's so incredible I'm so grateful to have that insight as well and being able to see this visually for myself um, it's it really is it's a beautiful sight uh, what drew my attention as well is so you've got these red river red gum coolamans on the table yep. um, which have a number of different contents you've listed some of them actually so far uh, my eyes were drawn really early on and it's because of probably my background in astronomy and how much we you know um, we focus on the emu in the sky and yep. the emu as for my mob as well as a totem um, and you have these beautiful emu eggs with carvings on them I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about those pieces yeah I've tried to keep the 
there's, there's a long story behind how I got into emu egg carving. My great-grandma took it up at the ba- age of oh, 70, um, and she decided she was going to start carving emu eggs, and she did. She was she does spectac- did spectacular eggs, and I was still fortunate enough to have one at home. Um, and I tried when I was younger to carve, and I just couldn't do it. My he- hands were too heavy. So I kind of started again in later in life, and... Um, kind of found my technique um, and again what I chose to put on those eggs that are on the table are plants so the abundance of plants that come um, so we've got uh, some that these were also in emu sky so they um, some people may have gotten to see that uh, so there's a, a yam daisy um, there's a bush banana a quandong um, they're prolific through our region there is, you got me thinking now, a rosella. I, I wanted to get some um, plants from different regions because that show I knew wasn't going to be on country. And what's the other one? Uh, Kambungi. So it's just a, it's a plant that we, it grows in the water. Um, bulrush, it's called as well. Um, but its fibres were used for nets. Um, not in the net that we made that um, drapes over the top of the, the canoe. That one was... Um, made from rush that grows on the side of the of the rivers and the lakes around Menindee and it's one of our was actually one of our trade um, items traditionally we didn't have any stone or any um, natural pigments um, so one of the things we used to do was make baskets and nets and we'd uh, trade those for rock uh, for oak for things that we didn't have on country so um, putting that together into a net was a really nice way and everybody in the um, in the exhibition had part of that so it's really it's a really nice way to I guess tie us all together bring it all together and it's, it's visible um, Jax who's the designer has made it so it's visible from every part of the gallery um, because he wanted to showcase that that was kind of the thing that tied us all together as artists and we'd all put in some sort of effort into that oh that's incredible yeah. oh it's definitely effective oh it's, it's a gorgeous piece um and they were making it right up till the night before it got hung. <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, um, I encourage our listeners to be venturing on to Naracha to see this work. It is beautiful. There are many features I feel to be taking in from your piece in particular. So many different elements. Thank you. Uh, so I want to say thank you for spending your time with us today. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Cheers. Moving further into the exhibition space at Naracha, We are greeted with a large installation of two long red acrylic panels with enamel etchings of 2,046 people. This art piece is called Bloodline, and it represents the 2,046 ancestors who have contributed to the artist's DNA across 10 generations. Raymond, congratulations on a wonderful exhibition today uh, and welcome uh, to Indigenuity again. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, could you give us a brief introduction to who you are? I'm Raymond Zader. I grew up in Murray and Port Augusta in South Australia and I currently live in Adelaide on Ghana country. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about this beautiful art piece called Bloodline that we see in the exhibition. So it's... Uh, it's a drawing, or each, there are 2,046 figures or people drawn in, in this work, uh, and each of them represents um, my parents or their parents or their parents or their parents for 10 generations. So that's 2,046 people in total. Um, but it's not only my parents and grandparents, it's actually we, all of us share that. There are no uncles, aunties, cousins in this, they're all direct blood relatives. 
and if it was you looking at that piece it would be your parents and grandparents and their grandparents so 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 yeah it's it's just talking about how we have all of us have uh, really strong connections to a broad range of people and a broad range of places as well beautiful it is um For me, I feel like it it provoked a lot of uh, self-reflection, I guess, seeing, um, just imagining the breadth of 2,000 ancestors contributing to my DNA over 10 generations. And it's only 10, and yet there are so many people. And if you went back to the 11 generations, you would add another 2,048 (laughs) people onto that. So I stopped at just the right time, I think. (laughs) Absolutely, especially for your poor hands etching all of these people. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us what thoughts came to mind as you were etching 2,000 of your ancestors. Uh, Occasionally, admittedly, it was like, why am I doing this? But then I would look at the people and and I would remember, this is why I'm doing this. It's, It's to say thank you to each of those people who have contributed to my DNA and and yeah and I guess you know somewhere that well I can't see myself having children now I've probably left it a bit late in the run but you know for, for other people it could be that you know in 70 80 100 years that someone else is acknowledging you know their contribution to to their their descendants I guess oh that is beautiful and so then finally I wanted to ask about how do you feel this theme of Naracha has resonated with you through the creation of Bloodline? Uh, it's just the entire process, the past 12 months of our, our trips on country and, and living together and cooking for each other and sharing those meals together and sharing our stories and experiences. It's, um, yeah, I, nothing could have come close to it if I had been doing this on my own. It's... There was really something very special and, and magical about just the entire experience and how lucky we were in, in some of the things we got to do, the weather would really play against us and then just on the day it needed to let up, it did let up and we got to go into Kinchika and experience all of that or get into Mordawinchi and, and live and, and breathe and experience all the things that we did do over, those, over the past 12 months. Well, that is beautiful. It is. Um, I feel like this exhibition gives us this unique insight into that preparation process for all of you. So it has been very beautiful. And I wanted to congratulate you again on a fantastic exhibition. And thank you for your time. Thank here. you. Too. Moving further into the exhibition space, we step into an isolated area, which is showcasing the works of Adrienne Simmons. Adrienne has created a series of videos which are honouring her place on Barkindji country as we see her step over a series of landscapes in moments of quiet contemplation and also dance. We see footage of the Barker River, close-ups of the gentle ripples on its surface which are caused by the light winds also seen pushing through the leaves of nearby trees and also rustling the grasses that we can see captured in the film. We see her dancing And through her dancing, we can also watch as a spool of string slowly cascades from her hands onto the ground. Adrienne Simmons, welcome to Indigenuity and thank you for spending some time with us here today. Um, I was wondering if you could give our listeners a brief introduction to who you are. Yes, of course. Um, My name's Adrienne Simmons. I'm a Bakanji artist. I'm a dance practitioner, so my work spans across um, performance, more recently some screen dance, um, and a passion for dance education and sharing with young people. Beautiful. And so could you tell us a bit about this video art piece that you've created for Naracha? Yeah, I'm super grateful that I've had this um, really precious opportunity to create a dance on film, a screen dance, um, and it's 
really building upon some ideas that have been simmering over the last couple of years um, and interest in using string, um, exploring relationships to place and this has really allowed me to use uh, dance film to share these incredible landscapes and to share um, this connection to country, to place. Um, and as a way it's also um, marking or, or mapping some of the travels um, that we have taken together as a collective of artists and the beautiful trips that we've had on country and also um, recalling and mapping my travels growing up and living on Ghana country, travelling to visit my family in Broken Hill and Willakali country. Beautiful. And so they are the landscapes that we're seeing in the background of yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. So um, there's several locations. Um, one includes my grandparents' back lane, um, all of the corrugated iron fence, um, um, just out of Broken Hill and Willakala country. And then really grateful to have been able to film at several locations in Kinchika National Park. Beautiful. Um, and so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the choice in choreography throughout. Yeah, the movement, um, it's, it's an archive of stories and memories. So I was thinking a lot about um, memories of me being with family, um, inspired by this idea of the dance um, mapping um, travels and journeys. Um, for example, I've got some movements that's even thinking about me as a child at my grandparents' house, dancing in the laneways and watching um, my shadow on the fence, which is a feature in of the use of shadows throughout the work. And I was also recalling and mapping lots of the really precious experiences that we had together as a collective. And one of the days in particular was being able to see all of the um, our cultural possessions uh, um, at Kinshika and um, the incredible grindstones that have been um, I was really thinking about the action and um, of the women grinding using those grindstones to grind the seeds and to make the bread and I was imagining uh, women sitting together and chatting and laughing and then I took that movement of grinding into inspiring some movement for um, for the film so there's a about a four minute four to five minute movement sequence was created in the studio and then that sequence was performed on country at the various locations and then played around with how those different locations could speak to each other and the use of string um, and really grateful to be working with Johannes Lyons Reed, an incredible cinematographer and we spent um, days sitting together and just trialling the images next to each other and um, the use of the three channels to bring in those ideas of the country, of the string dropping, of the string pulling, of pulling um, sequence next to each other. Beautiful. All right, well, congratulations on a wonderful exhibition and thank you for your time today. Pleasure, thank you. Moving to the back of the exhibition space is where we find the works of Kent Morris. Kent's artworks feature both dynamic videos as well as still art pieces on display. The dynamic videos are rather kaleidoscopic in nature. Dynamic artworks interchanging, it's gorgeous, and all of it is focusing on this kata-kataka, which is the pink cockatoo, or in Bakanji language, as I've tried to pronounce. So these pieces are gorgeous, uh, and I look forward to learning a bit more about the pink cockatoo as the centerpiece. 
So Kent Morris, uh, welcome to Indigenuity in this format and congratulations on a wonderful exhibition. Um, I wanted to start off by asking if you could give us a brief introduction to who you are. Nay, Kent Morris Upper. Hi, my name's Kent Morris. I'm a Barkindji man on my father's side. So my father and both his parents are Barkindji people. Barker means river, so we're people of the river. And my ancestry and homelands are up around Burke and particularly the significance of Tarali Station. And we are northern Barkindji, so we are Gunu Barkindji people. I have Irish heritage on my mother's side. How and beautiful. I, yeah, thank you. And I live and work in on Yellowcat Wheelam country, uh, Bayside, Melbourne. And Yellowcat Wheelam country also translates to people of the river, so I'm very fortunate to be on another kind of beautiful uh, area with significant waterways. Gorgeous, I'm glad to hear that. So your piece is very interesting, very eye-grabbing. Um, so we've described its sort of kaleidoscopic nature in dynamic art form. So you have sort of this video and also these still images or still pictures. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us why did the pink cockatoo become the focus of your pieces? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. It's a very kind of complex narrative around Katakataka or pink cockatoo. And it relates to the history of the more commonly held name for this bird, which we don't utilise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that history is twofold for this wonderful bird. So in our muta stories around travel and country and, and formation of country and, and mapping and locations, there's a version of this beautiful story told by Alf Barlow and recorded in 1957. Alf Barlow was a senior storyteller. And in the, his version of that story, the two rainbow serpents travelling, there's a connecting point and a location for pink cockatoo in a hollow tree. And this is kind of very significant for us and that story is so significant for our culture and understanding our ancestors and our stories around the creation of our country. On the flip side, we have the events around the Mount Dispersion Massacre, now known as Mount Dispersion Massacre Aboriginal Site. And that point in time, Major Thomas Mitchell um, and his men ambushed a group of Barkindji people and there'd been interactions from an Indian all the way down the river where our people were obviously very concerned or cautious of of what uh, Mitchell and his men were doing on our country. But... The events at Mount Dispersion really highlight how instead of conversation, interaction, a discussion, there's an ambush and it's straight to, you know, the killings of people and particularly as, you know, my people are crossing the river to escape and get away, they're still being fired on and and either injured and killed. So we don't utilise the the more common name for Kata Kataka, Mm -hmm. Pink Cockatoo, and that's the reason why. Um, And that sort of, I guess, shows the differing philosophies and perspectives from a First Nations experience and our histories and stories and a a European version and a, a history which sees conflict over conversation. Yeah, well, that's incredibly powerful. And so um, the creation of the artwork, so they are this beautiful kaleidoscopic nature to them. Can you tell us about, uh, I guess, the meaning behind this repeating pattern? Yeah, I often think around all that knowledge 
and history and, and, and our philosophies that are, you know, 65,000 plus years old and the ones that we can maintain and, and stay consistent over time and that's caring and connection for country and caring and connection for each other, for community, for all of us together. Um, and so those patterns really are inspired by a lot of the designs on our belongings, on shields and boomerangs and across now you know, differing forms of artworks that relate to, to kinship and knowledge systems and that interconnection and interaction and continuity. So the kaleidoscopic effect is around those layers and the endless continuum of our culture and the more repeated and, and often geometric motives. But again, some of the eluded shapes can be around objects, cultural objects, and people finding them in there, their shields and a spear there and there's a bundi or a club there. All those kind of just nice reference points to other other animals and people seeing things from their own perspective as well. So the works generate, I guess, your imagination, but I want to connect people to this, you know, deep time knowledge, philosophy, idea of connection to country, and then we're all part of that. And we need to be part of that to kind of counter the destruction we're seeing. You know, we call it caring for country. I mean, in, in, a, in the newspaper, across many really fantastically organised and activated organisations, you know, it's around... Uh, climate crisis and, and, and climate change. But this is all around not caring for country. So to see that you're part of that, that you're part of this, you're in this web of, of country. To see yourself not as being separate from it, in the Western view is obviously people, and then you've got nature, and we're kind of separate, <laughs> and we're gonna do things uh, without, often without thinking of what the consequences are long-term. Mm. Whereas the First Nations worldview is that we're all the ecology, we're all part of nature. We are country, we are community, and they've got to see yourself connected to all plants, animals, land, sea, sky. That's a different worldview. And so I want that to be apparent in these works that you're part of this kaleidoscopic web of interconnection, or you need to be. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So nature coming through them, through your artworks, through us all coming together and viewing them as well, and also those beautiful Easter eggs for people to come along and see what they can see through this kaleidoscopic dynamic movement of your pieces. Well, I want to say congratulations on an excellent exhibition, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. <laughs> as we've circled the exhibition space at Naracha, heading back towards the front, we approach the works of Zena Cumston, one of the co-curators of Naracha and also the final artist of my walkthrough. We are met with 10 large lino-cut artworks in black ink, which feature an abundance of native plants. Zena has researched native plants for many years as a topic which she often speaks and writes about. And we have previously spoken to her on indigenuity for her insights that she offers regarding native plants. These artworks are the next step in exploration of plant knowledge and storytelling through a creative artistic medium, and she's done a wonderful job. Um, I do encourage people to come see this in, in person for themselves. Uh, but they are accompanied with a messaging on the final artwork, a very literal text which says, there's not enough left, brackets, for you. Aboriginal food, it's a white thing. And so I'm curious to learn from Zena uh, the intent behind her messaging. Zena, uh, welcome back to Indigenuity and congratulations on a fantastic exhibition today. It's been a pleasure to walk through. I was wondering for our listeners if you could give us a brief introduction to who you are. 
Ah, thanks for coming, Crystal. Yeah, it's been an awesome day. So a brief introduction. I, um, I'm a Barkindji woman living here in um, Melbourne, um, and I've been doing research for quite a few years around uh, Indigenous plant use. And I also work as a writer and a curator um, and mostly just a storyteller, really. But this is the first time that I've made artworks um, to share with people. So, yeah, it's an exciting project for me. Oh, that's incredible. So you have 10 very beautiful lino cut print artworks. So I if you could tell us a bit about them. Yeah, so um, I actually only learnt to do lino cut very recently in November last year. My friend Emma Barnes taught me and I had one lesson and I was completely hooked. And so for this show, I was actually just going to use my weaving practice, um, which I do have some weaving in the show also, but I really just sort of couldn't stop once I started and that's how I ended up creating 10 works for this show. So I'm really seeing it as an extension of my research, um, but I absolutely love making things with my hands and I'm very new to it, but I know that it's something I'm going to keep doing. And it was really lovely to be able to think about the research I've been doing and how much I know about some things um, and how that can be translated to an even wider audience by doing it through the visual art realm. For example, I'm often doing things with young people and I have to look for really good pictures of some of the plants and seeds that I'm talking about and I find it quite difficult to find good pictures and now I'm very happy I'll be able to make my own. <laughs> oh, that is actually wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see all these different ways that it's going to intersect with, with things um, in my work that have been a bit of a stumbling block in, in terms of trying to share things with like multiple age groups and abilities and yeah, I think it's going to be... Um, an exciting new pathway. Beautiful. And so um, you have a message, a very literal message within your artworks, um, which uh, I've described previously as it says, there's not enough in brackets for you. Aboriginal food, it's a white thing. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the intent behind this message. Yeah, so I've been, um, I guess, looking at our food ways and getting, um, I guess, quite depressed about how much it seems like the bush tucker industry is empowering um, our people and um, it actually really isn't. Just statistically, it's around an $80 million industry in Australia at the moment and that's tracked in 2025 to be a $160 million industry. And at this point in time, it's around only 2% of the profits um, and benefits of that um, industry going to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So I think it's um, just that situation again where there's just so much, um, so many things happening that are extremely extractive. And I was really interested in Richard Bell's work when I was studying at university at Monash um, more than 10 years ago. And he'd released this amazing um, work that was uh, basically a manifesto. And it was all about the disparity and benefit in the Aboriginal art industry and how, um, you know, it seems like it's I guess really empowering Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, which in many ways it is, but really dissecting it and looking at who are, who is really, really profiting the most. And it's not our mobs and our people and our communities most of the time. Mm. And I've really seen a lot of parallels the more that I've come to know about the bush foods industry. And obviously art has been something I've been passionate about for a long time, even though I haven't been making works until recently. And I could just, yeah, really often see that there's uh, parallels in the way things are appropriated, taken, um, and but also you know both being burgeoning industries that look like they're really providing a lot of benefit. So I wanted to draw that parallel and to help people to understand that um, it's really important to make sure that 
um, when we're using Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's knowledge and knowledge of country or utilising it, it, that it's actually empowering communities also because I think that's one thing that is, is missing a lot of the time. Yeah, powerful. So beautiful artworks which uh, really do showcase this, uh, I've said this a word a couple of times today, but the abundance of country. So these beautiful plants it contains, but also that reality check in a way for people to understand that a lot of Indigenous knowledge, Indigenous intellectual property, really the profits and everything that are seen from that don't go to Indigenous peoples. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Very powerful message. Well, I want to say congratulations on an absolutely fantastic exhibition. I've had a wonderful time here and I'm encouraging uh, listeners to come and see it for yourself because as much as we've tried to paint a visual picture, there is just something about seeing it in person uh, that is unbeatable. And even after these interviews today, I feel like I need to go back and walk in uh, just to get that deeper insight that I've now had the chance to learn from everyone. So thank you for your time and congratulations again. Thanks so much, Crystal. It's been yeah one of the best days of my life. It's really fun. <laughs> That's yeah. great to hear. Yeah, thank you so much. Naracha will continue to show from May 14th through to September in 2023 before it starts to tour nationally. If you would like to see it for yourself, you can pop down to Bunjil Place Gallery in Narrowarren. It's a fantastic, beautiful venue with lots to offer. And this exhibition is one that I feel requires repeat viewing. So definitely worth the trip down to our southeast suburbs. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.